Well, I trust you would all agree with me. It's a pretty big thing to say. I trust you would all agree with me that scams and scammers are a blight upon us. Just check your email junk box. I particularly like the, the emails where I can open them up. I get them all the time, and they sound very personal, and like I'm a family member or something, and they're written to me, and they say, Dear Phil. <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, perhaps you heard this past week when it comes to scams and scammers that one of our uh, utilities, uh, actually somebody had figured out a way to use their phone number and have it show up on your caller ID as they're calling for collecting money, uh, and they were just all the smarter because it really looked like it was them. And so they're on the radio talking about it and on the news so that you wouldn't actually give them your money. This past week, or maybe it was a week and a half ago, um, the representative from our neighborhood was walking around uh, the neighborhood giving the newsletter, and one of the things they were talking about uh, was warning us about the scams, warning us about uh, people who were posing during the day as salespeople, knocking on doors, and then when people weren't home, um, they were breaking the door down and stealing stuff. And apparently it's been happening in our neighborhood. Again, scams and scammers. As an aside, I was home studying on Thursday, and somebody knocked at the door, and it didn't look like they were driving a company vehicle, um, and they were there, and they wanted to know why I was home. And uh, I said, I work from home, which is kind of true. Um, oh, that was it. Anyway, so all of that to say, it's, it's everywhere. We get, we get scammed all the time, wanting our information, wanting to take advantage of us, there are scams and scammers, and they are a blight on our culture, and, you know, it's not going to end. It's always been happening, and it's not going to end. But today, since we're studying the book of Jude, we're talking about something far more dangerous, far more important, far more wide-reaching, and that would be spiritual scammers. And spiritual scammers are way worse because of what's at stake. When we're talking about spiritual things. We're talking about knowing God. We're talking about knowing Christ, knowing what it means to be forgiven, knowing how to grow spiritually, um, knowing how to have hope. And we learn in the book of Jude, we learn in the New Testament, we learn in the Old Testament, we learn on our televisions, through the radio, through social media, that scammers love to scam. And they want to go after what is most important. And what is most important would be the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Judas helping us to be aware that we need to not only watch out for spiritual scammers. We actually as Christians have a duty to stand against them. And to commit ourselves to not only affirming the gospel. But also holding it so that it would be safe for others. And so this morning we'll look at Jude, we'll look at um, a latter portion, but I want to remind you of really what's central in the book of Jude. So if you look at verse 3 by way of review, as we think about spiritual scammers and trying to corrupt genuine Christianity, we're called to contend for the faith. And notice what it says in verse 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend, to do battle, to wage war spiritually for the faith 
That would be the gospel, the truth about God, the truth about sin, the truth about salvation, the truth about Christ, the truth about those things. For the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And I have to keep reminding you, or I want to keep reminding you, uh, it's been once and for all delivered. Okay, so Christianity isn't evolving. Christianity isn't improving. Uh, it's not getting better. It's not getting worse. It's dynamic in that it can uh, survive and flourish and impact any culture at any time, any kind of people group. We can learn more about it, but it itself, in its essence, is not changing once and for all. And it's been delivered. Another way to translate that would be entrusted. It's been handed over and it's been delivered to the saints. And so by way of reminder, I want to say to you that this is a responsibility that you have if you're a Christian. You have the faith entrusted. And here we are as a group of believers. Here we are as a local church. And so we want to make sure that the, the, the faith, the truth, the gospel, the truth about Christ and all of those things are things that we hold on to for safe, precious keeping. Some believers have called this the sacred trust. We've been given a sacred trust and so we're going to hold on to it and preserve it because if we don't have it, we don't have the common salvation that he talks about. We don't have what genuinely unites. We don't have what genuinely saves for our benefit, for the benefit of our friends, for the benefit of our enemies, for the benefit of our families, for the benefit of other generations other cultures, and so we're called to contend. It's much more fun to talk about our common salvation, but we have to contend and know that there is a battle, that there are spiritual scammers, so that we can hold that contending pose, if you will, that demeanor, that stance, because we're going to make sure that that which is most precious, most valuable, most extraordinary, the fact that Christ died for our sins and rose again from the dead so that we might know God, would be intact. And that's what Jude is going after. That's the heartbeat of Jude. So no matter how nice these people might look, no matter how amazing their smile might be, no matter how they might appear, they're scammers. If they're going after any of the essentials, if you will, of the faith. And so what we're going to see today is as we look at verses 11 to 16, we're going to see that these guys who are not friends but foes, these spiritual terrorist scammers, are people that Jude really takes aim at. And we need to make sure that we see them as he does. And you might want to brace yourself. This isn't the normal kind of stuff you talk about in church. okay? But he's not hateful. I'm going to suggest to you he's loving. He loves Christ because Christ loved him. He loves other believers because of what Christ has done. And now he's trying to help us to show the same kind of love. And this kind of love is going to lead to saying some pretty harsh words. And so let's go ahead and jump right in with the harsh words in verse 11, where Jude says, for us to hear, woe to them. Doesn't sound very harsh to our, to our ears, maybe. Woe to them. What's he saying? Damn them. 
resonates a little bit more. Condemn them justly. They deserve it. They deserve to be condemned. They deserve to be damned. They deserve God's judgment. Woe to them. And again, we might think Jude is like the, the, the kind of the grumpy guy. But remember, woes are pronounced throughout the Old Testament. Condemnations, just condemnations. And they also are things that Jesus used. If you read the gospel accounts, if you read Matthew and Matthew 23 in particular, woe, 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 woe. Damn them, damn them, damn them, damn them. And when he's saying it to them, it's damn you, damn you, damn you. And I don't mean that in a crass sort of way. I mean it in a theological sort of way, as Jesus did. Just condemnation to false teachers. Because they're scammers, they're liars, and they might do things that look loving and gracious and kind, and it might look like they help people, and maybe they do help people in the short run, but when they've corrupted the faith, they're to be condemned. Now, this is important for us because, again, contending earnestly for the faith, false teachers, this bad talking, and we might be thinking, you know, this just doesn't really, you know, go over at dinner parties. I, th- I came to church today to be built up. I came to church to hear about the gospel. Well, that's what Judas sympathetic toward. I wish I could talk to you about our common salvation. But my friends, remember that if we don't contend as other believers who've gone before us have, there won't be a common salvation. And so it's admirable. It's good. Thankfully, it's not what we always do. Thankfully, it's a short book. (laughs) But woe to them. I'd say that's not hate speech. That's love speech. Love for God and love for neighbor. And here's why. He's going to talk about why. In verse 11, he goes on to give three historical examples. Three evil people, okay? How about verse 11 where he says, For they walked in the way of Cain. Well, Cain murdered his brother. Genesis chapter 4, 1 John chapter 3. They look like people who help and are kind and have programs and, and do all kinds of nice things. And he says, They walked in the way of Cain. They're murderers. Philo, the historian, summarizes Cain's life as one enslaved to self-love, just consumed with self, false teachers. They look nice, they talk nice maybe, and they are murderers spiritually. They go the way of Cain. They're in love with themselves. And so if Again, when you think of or hear of this amazing, amazing Christian man or amazing Christian woman, influential, and they do all of these nice things, but they, in one way or another, deny the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, they actually go the way of Cain. They're murderers. 
Verse 11 goes on to say, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. Some of your translations might say it a little bit differently. Abandoned themselves. It could be literally translated, they poured out. They totally, they, they, they totally sold out for this. They've given their all. They poured themselves, we might say poured into. He says poured themselves out. They've given every, everything to this kind of commitment. They're really devoted. They're really committed to their cause. And yet, they're really committed to their gain, which is Balaam's error. You can read about Balaam in Numbers chapter 31, Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15 says, they loved gain... He loved gain for wrongdoing. What's interesting about Balaam is he might look like Israel's friend. He might, how about this? He might look like the friend of the people of God. He's not the friend of the people of God. Gain for self. And not just a little bit, poured out for self. Now again, let's think about false teachers in our day. Because sometimes we admire their devotion and commitment. And on one level, maybe we should. Why are they so committed? <laughs> sometimes we're not. I mean, they'll go to great lengths. I mean, they'll buy, buy entire amazing arenas. And, and, and go all out to, to make this kind of person feel good and this person feel good and let's make sure we reach this demographic and this demographic and let's do this and, and let's promote this and, and let's have these extraordinary, amazing things. They're all in. But Jude would have us to know that it would be a mistake to therefore conclude that they're promoting the faith that they're the friend of the people of God. Balaam was not the friend of the people of God, but he was all in. He was all in for him. And so it shouldn't surprise us when we see false teachers who are so into it. I went to one church. I won't name it. It's in Houston. I talked to the pastor afterward. Some of you don't know, some of you do know, but it's amazing to go to this place. I mean, you could get your hair cut there. They had the most amazing bookstore. They had some good books in the bookstore, as a matter of fact. Most amazing bookstore. And you could go, and, and during the course of the service, if you like this style of music, you would have your itch scratched. If you like this style of music, you'd have your itch scratched. If you like this kind of person, they'd have that kind of person on the platform. If you liked a different kind of person, they'd have another kind of person on the platform. You'd have another kind of person. And it just went on and on. And if you want kind of the revivalistic come forward thing, they had a little group over here doing the revivalistic come forward thing. I mean, it was like they went out of their way to be all in. And the only kind of person that would be uncomfortable there would be a serious-minded Christian who's looking to hear the good news about Jesus Christ as the Redeemer from our sin and rebellion against God. 
when it comes to discernment, don't look for radical commitment. Look for a commitment to the once and for all delivered to the saints faith. You've got to look for that. Or what you're looking at is Balaam. Amazing. Amazing. A friend of mine, uh, he was behind me in line as we were having our picture taken with the pastor. You could question the wisdom of any of those things. One guy who was with me didn't want his picture taken because he was afraid somebody might show it to somebody else and he would be in trouble. But there we were, you know, getting ready to, to, to meet Joel Osteen. Amazing, influential. So the guy behind me asked him, he said, so if I wanted to learn your theology... Could you help me with a book I might read or something you might recommend? First, the answer was no. I mean, he, he couldn't think of anything, which wasn't a surprise to us. And then he did mention an author who I won't mention because I don't want him to sound guilty. But basically, he mentioned a leadership expert. A person who knows how to sell things. So how can I learn your theology, what you believe about God and what you promote about God? And he didn't give him a theologian. He gave him a marketer. Makes sense. All in. How can we do this? We can be successful. We can be successful even if we're saying things that deny the once and for all delivered to the saints' faith. That's a problem. It's a huge problem. Now, there's something with Balaam that goes on that has to do with sexual sin, um, but it's not clear in the Jude text. But when you read about Balaam, there's uh, enticing the Israelites to sexual sin, and maybe we're meant to see that here as well. I'm not sure. Certainly, false teachers do promote certain things that might lead you down that path. Uh, just not sure if that's what's involved here or not. Let's go ahead and move on. And perished in Korah's rebellion. So these false teachers, today, he's say, saying perished in Korah's rebellion, as if it's already happened, even though it hasn't. Perished in Korah's rebellion from number 16. Korah didn't like authority. Okay? Korah didn't like Moses and Aaron's authority over him. That's the gist of it. Listen to this. As Korah rejected the authority of God given to Moses... The false teachers reject the authority of finalized Christianity, the faith. I'll read it again because I think it's helpful to summarize. As Korah rejected the authority of God given to Moses, the false teachers reject the authority of finalized Christianity, the faith. So what stabilizes, what unites, what brings us together, what saves the faith, it's common to us, they find constricting. That's too limiting. That's too narrow. So they want freedom. They don't like that. They don't like the boundaries. 
They want to teach something new so they can have a name for themselves, so they can market something, so they can sell something, so that they can be uplifted instead of being limited by the once and for all faith, historic Christianity. So Korah didn't like God's authority over him through Moses and Aaron. False teachers don't like God's authority over them from the faith. Helps us to see that's, that's the problem. Remember that Korah and his followers were swallowed up by God's judgment. We don't want to listen to them. We don't want to be a part of them. Who are these people today? Well, they're the big cults. They're the little cults. They're the personality cults. I asked my wife this morning. I, I, I didn't ask. I said, I don't know how many false teachers to name in Jude sermons. And I think she said something like, less is more, honey. Um, <laughs> She's a wise woman. Um, and yet some feedback I get from some of you is, well, this is great in theory that you give us these principles, but it doesn't seem like it's a real problem that we have or it's a problem that we only have on TV. So I don't know what the balance is. I know the Apostle Paul names names sometimes. I'm not the Apostle Paul, but at least there's a precedent. Um, I don't know for sure. What I do know is you need to know the faith and you need to have your eyes wide open. And just because someone is really committed doesn't mean they're committed to the faith. I suppose it's a good time to, to just flesh out a little bit and pose the question, you know, what keeps us from this? What keeps us from being duped? Well, again, it's, it's knowing the faith. What does the Bible teach about Christ? What does the Bible teach about who he is? What does the Bible teach about what he did? What does the Bible teach about how to receive and personally benefit from what he did? What does the Bible teach about how to be reconciled to God? What does the Bible teach about the Bible? Well, what you end up having is you, you have this God who creates... Let's do the big picture here for a second. God creates a world that is good... God is God, and God says, do what I say, and you have humans rebelling. It's called sin. It makes us God's enemies. We're not good people. God doesn't love us because we're lovely. We're his enemies. There's antagonism between both of us. He's against us, and we're against him, and, and we're all sons and daughters of Adam, and so it's a problem. People aren't inherently good, and if they are inherently good, then the gospel doesn't make sense, and Jesus is a liar. So we have to know this and we have to know that no matter how many kings and how many leaders and how many judges and how many of these things God sends, it still leaves us spiritually bankrupt and it's all ultimately aiming toward anticipating the ultimate king, the ultimate Messiah, the ultimate Lamb of God who would come. He lived a sinless life. He fulfilled all righteousness. He goes to the cross to pay for our sin, rebellion, badness, evil that fills our hearts because our hearts aren't good. And what happens then? He rises again from the dead. Oh, by the way, he became one of us, a real human being, part, part, part of our world. And then he rises again from the dead so that we can have a new life, bringing justification how do we receive what he's done for us? It's not by efforting. It's not by what we do. It's by trusting in him and him alone. He's coming again to, to bring about perfect restoration. He's a judge. Hell is real. Heaven is real. 
if we're Christians, we're supposed to live a certain way by the power of the Spirit. These are just basic Christian things. We need to know these basic Christian things. And when people deny these basic Christian things, we say, Balaam. Korah. Cain. They're murderers. They're self-consumed. They're the bad guys. They're scammers. So whether it's well, the one thing I didn't talk about would be, would be something Jude talks about, and that would be the self-revelation, self-authority thing. That's a huge one, by the way. The Bible is the Christian book. And it was done when the apostles were done. And so when someone says, I receive these special kind of decoder glasses from heaven and I have something new. Balaam, Korah, Cain. Well, I was reading the Bible in my devotions and it just didn't really speak to me. And so what happened was, now I realize that since the Bible isn't enough, Jesus actually talks to me. Balaam, Korah, Cain. That's how most Christians would respond to this in Christian history. You have something new and improved? Making the Bible better? Improving on the faith? You should read Jude. You should read Jude. It seems super harsh. Or, we're going to maybe pin it on a young person. Well, I didn't actually do this, but, but my child went to heaven. Extra biblical revelation. Because the Bible isn't enough. Never mind the fact that the things that are described in heaven are patently unbiblical. It'll sell by the millions. It reminds me of the Old Testament where the prophets prophesy falsely. And it says, and my people love it so. It's a terrible thing. Once and for all entrusted with the faith. That calls for you not to be gullible. And not to be ignorant about what the faith is. We're not looking for 2.0. We're not trying to get the bugs out. Every time you have to have another stinking update on your iPhone or whatever it might be on Windows, I don't know what we're up to or whatever. Just remember, it's so good that the gospel is once and for all delivered to the saints. Not to be improved upon. How about this? No bugs. And when someone says, God told me this, and I've got something new. I hope you're thinking Cain, Korah, Balaam. By the way, if you're thinking that, you're thinking much more like Christians who've gone before us, who've taken this calling seriously. It's been entrusted. It's to be protected.
Well, now that we're all feeling good about ourselves and uplifted and uh, ready to roll, oh, by the way, this is when I don't listen to my wife. <laughs> Last night before I went to bed, I thought, I'm just going to get on a Christian bookstore's website and see what kind of books they have. Some good books. But if you're not a discerning, thinking Christian, you're in trouble. It's all this 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, new revelation, unique, extra-biblical, Korah, Cain, Balaam. It's like, wow. And I'm a huge book fan, don't misunderstand. I just can't believe that we just give all this stuff a free pass. I say shame on us for not knowing the faith. Now let's not stay in shame. Let's be ashamed if need be and say, I need to know what the faith is. What is the once and for all delivered to the saints' faith? What, what, what is true about Jesus? What did he do? What is true about the Bible? What, what, what is it? Oh, if that's really true, and, th and that's what makes a common salvation, anybody who wants to add to it is actually taking away from it. And spiritually speaking, those are fighting words. That's how it needs to be. And we don't all have to be grumpy about it. But we're so thrilled and so passionate and so thankful for what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. Right? I will do everything within my power, even if it means I've got a snarl on my face, right? And it's politically incorrect to, to have it be what it is, because it's a sacred trust that's been given to us. Okay, can I move on? You're like, please, Lord, help him, Jesus. That's my favorite thing I've ever heard in a church, by the way. Um, I don't remember the name of the church. We were in California, and we went to visit a friend's church, uh, and... It was, it was a lively church, and it was interesting, but when, when the, a lady at the church said, Help him, Jesus! I thought, I hope you're saying that, maybe not out loud. <laughs> I'm like, that's good. <laughs> Remember that? Oh, Okay, let's keep moving. Verse 12 then says, uh, These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. Okay, so maybe a communion service, more common for them to have their meals together. We can, maybe could learn something from that. But Christians together, sharing meals and fellowship, maybe even communion. Uh, but the idea would be that's where you, where you let your guard down, right? That's, that's where you know you're with believers and brothers and sisters. They're, they're on the inside. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. What's a hidden reef? A hidden reef, we all know if we've never been in a boat, it looks good, looks safe, looks like a place where you should go and you can let your guard down and instead it's going to destroy your boat and maybe take your life. Okay, So it looks good. These people are on the inside. These are not atheists. Okay, This is not Richard Dawkins. Okay, We maybe should oppose Richard Dawkins and his atheism, but it's not talking about that. This is the person, man or woman, who says they're a Christian. And yet they're teaching things that deny the faith. They're like hidden reefs. Verse 12 then goes on to say, we better pick it up. As they feast with you 
and they feast with you without fear. Is fear a good thing? Yeah, fear is a good thing, right? Fight or flight kind of stuff. Fear is good. We should fear certain things. But false teachers, apparently, one characteristic is they're not afraid. They're going to come right in. This, this verse made me feel better, by the way, because sometimes I get super intimidated by false teachers because they seem so brazen and they seem so fearless. And I start thinking to myself, man, I, I, I'm intimidated by this person. And they, they're just like coming at me with both guns going. Well, fear can be really stupid, right? In light of who they are, in light of what they're saying that's not true, their fearlessness doesn't show godly boldness. It shows ungodly ignorance. One of the characteristics of a false teacher is they're fearless. Fascinating, I think. Verse 12 then says, shepherds feeding themselves. Shepherds are supposed to feed the flock, right? Uh, I think he's getting at selfishness. They just do what they do for themselves. Um, Waterless clouds swept along by winds. We can all understand what he's saying there, but put yourself in a dry climate of first century Palestine. And you need that water, right? It's arid. And when the water does come, you, you create things to catch the water because you might be having that water in that cistern for a long, long time. You know, you read in the Bible and it's talking about broken cisterns. That's terrible. And the water goes bad. I mean, that, what's in that cistern might get you by for months and months and months and months. And so rain is super valuable. And so here comes the rain and we need to catch it. And you see the clouds and there's hope, Right? There's hope in those clouds, them their clouds, because it means life for us and for our crops and freshness, and we're tired of the old water. Finally, it's coming. False teachers, hope, 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 hope. And then the wind carries the cloud away, and your hopes are dashed. That's a false teacher for you. They look like rain-giving clouds. They make big promises. They're going to help you grow spiritually. They're going to help you go to the next level. They're going to help you to know God. And if you just buy there, or if you just listen to there, or you just commit, don't do it. Don't do it. It's a great image. Fruitless trees in late autumn. So that's when these particular trees are supposed to give you fruit, and they don't give you any fruit. That's a, that's a problem. Twice dead. Ugh. Emphatic, they're dead, dead, or totally dead. False teachers are uprooted. I mean, they're 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 so dead and so wrong and so upside down that they're they're laying there. I mean, how ridiculous would it be if a if a tree got uprooted from a storm twelve months ago? And here it is. And let's say it's an apple tree because it's apple time, right? Everybody's going to Nebraska City. And so it's all about apples. And would you go there and stand next to a tree that got knocked down in a storm 12 months ago? Anybody would do, I'm just looking for apples. And you're like, duh, you know? Well, when you go to false teachers who deny things related to the faith, you're standing there looking for fruit from an apple tree that got knocked over 12 months ago. We have a special class for you. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. It's just crazy. Verse 13, wild waves of the sea. 
seemingly out of control, right? They don't like confinement. They don't like the faith, the once and for all faith. They don't like that. They're wild waves of the sea, casting up their foam of their own shame, to their own shame. Isaiah 57 verse 20 says, But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. Just filthy. And verse 12 says, Wandering stars from whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. They're out of control, destroyed, no boundaries, but it's not freedom, it's destruction. If that's not enough, now Jude gives us more reasons not to follow them. Okay? Verse 14. It was also about these that Enoch, I just wrote in my margin, surprising source. Everybody turn to the book of First Enoch. If I said that, you'd say, he's not part of the once and for all faith. We don't have the book of Enoch in our Bibles. I think Jude is up to something. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You don't need to know anything to know that they're ungodly, right? Stay away from them. They're ungodly, 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 ungodly. And the very thing we're looking for, right, in in teachers is to help us to be more godly, to help us to know God and help us to grow spiritually. We want godliness. That's a great summary term for what we want. But he's saying these guys who deny the faith in one way or another, or gals, I should say, are ungodly, 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 ungodly. And if that's all we know, we're fine. But if we know a little bit more, we have to go, Enoch? That's from first Enoch. That's a non-canonical book. That the Jews were familiar with. In fact, rather fascinated by, not in their canon but fascinated by, in part because we are oftentimes, not in a good sense, but we're oftentimes fascinated by the extraordinary, the unique, the different. Enoch had an extraordinary experience. So some people have written about Enoch, because Enoch went to heaven. I think what Jude is doing here, and other commentators think this, other pastors think this, he's purposely using Enoch. Because even a stop clock is right twice a day. What Enoch says in First Enoch is absolutely right. False teachers are going to be judged. Ungodly people are going to be condemned and judged, so you better watch out. And now we're going to read between the lines a little bit, and guess that maybe Jude is using First Enoch because of the audience he's writing to and because of the temptation to be lured in and fascinated with the extra-canonical, the extra-biblical, 
Maybe these particular false teachers were big fans of First Enoch. I don't know for sure. That's a guess. It's a common guess. And so Jude uses something to make his point. There's irony all over it. It would be like me quoting from XYZ cult book to make a point to my friend who's part of XYZ cult. Because you can find true statements in there. Or maybe better yet, if you were talking to that person and perhaps wanting to kind of get sucked in, I'm going to use that book in your life because you're a professing Christian. It's fascinating what he does. Intentional irony. Using their ammo against them, so to speak. Okay, verse 16. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They're loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. This is an aside, but I just have to say it, first of all, and that would be, when I read the list, I am compelled not to be a grumbler, lest I sound like a false teacher. I'm wanting to encourage you to not be a malcontent. Even if you're not a false teacher, you don't even want to sound like them. But that's not his point here. His point here is, again, they don't like the constriction. They're not satisfied with God and His goodness and what He's given us. And so they're malcontents. They're grumblers. We only have the Bible. I want something new. I want something more exciting or whatever it might be. Following their own sinful desires. Loudmouth boasters. Showing favoritism to gain advantage. Pretty straightforward, I think. It doesn't mean that they always come across as negative. But if you listen carefully regarding the doctrines they're denying, the reality is there are these things. So you might have to see through the veneer. You might have to see through the actual words and realize that by what they're saying, maybe even with the positive look, they're malcontents. They're grumblers. They're following their selfish desires. They show favoritism to elevate themselves and promote themselves. We're getting to the good part, I promise. Okay? Jude is one of the most often quoted books by Christians, and it's the end. Okay? And we're going to get there, and it's really, really good. We're not quite there yet. Okay? But we're going we're to land the plane soon uh, when it comes to Jude. But I hope what's happening is on the positive note, is you're seeing the need to know the faith. Okay? What is the faith? If it's been once and for all given, what is it? 
And then, what isn't it? And I will hopefully be able to help, and we want to help you know those very things so that we can be good stewards with the sacred trust that's been given to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Jude. Thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that could save a sinner like Jude and save sinners like us. Lord, help us uh, as we would want to be proclaimers of the good news to people around us, um, as we would want to be preservers of the good news for those who would come even after us. Um, Help us to walk with humility. Help us to know that we know what we know. If we know anything that's true because of your grace, because it's been given to us, it's been gifted to us. May our studies in Jude not cause us to be more calloused and more hard-hearted. Uh, may it actually cause us to, to long for a better understanding of Christ and, and a better uh, kind of devotion and fellowship with him and his people. In Jesus' name, amen.